about to feed them to the sharks right now. Get them hype right now. Yeah. You know the ground is up. Yeah. Everybody that trains, you know the game. Yeah. So let's get it. Uh. Slap it up, bump it and roll. Hey. Yeah, that's the way that it go. Ain't no better way to better yourself in this game. You're feeling the growth. That's time on the mat. We put in the work. Believe it ain't easy, I know. But we train for the love of the game, the love of the art. Now slap it up, bump it, let's roll. Welcome to episode 78 of the Beach JJ Campaign Podcast. My name is Jeff Boone. I'm an A3 Blue Belt, Three Stripes. Phil Coors, A Two Stripes. And uh, my name is Joe Thomas, and I'm with BJJ Brick. And I am uh, A2H, uh, No Stripe, Purple Belt. My name is Byron Jabara. Uh, I probably am an A2 and uh, One Stripe Black Belt. All right, so so we're all here for a conversation, and what we want to talk about is the transitional period between white belt and blue belt, say three, four stripe white belt to two stripe blue belt. We all know that that's a period of time where we see some dropout. So um, we're going to talk about that and hopefully get some uh, uh, insight and some advice for both of our listeners. Before we get into that, guys, let's talk about how long were you guys white belts and... Uh, um, yeah, let's start there. How how long and when were, was everybody a white belt? So, yeah, this is Jeff, and I was yeah. a white belt for 13 and a half months. And part of that, going from white to blue, um, was that I started, I had a baseline of wrestling. So I wrestled 10-plus years, uh, junior high, high school, college, and things of that nature. So I already had a baseline in grappling, um, which I think kind of sped up my progression through white belt to blue. Okay, this is this and is, I was uh was a white belt. I was a white belt for 14, 15 months um with no background at all, but after about 3 to four months I was going about 5 days a week. Well, that's a lot that's a lot of days a week. This is Joe and uh I was a white belt between 2004 and 2000 Oh, I don't know, maybe 12. Now, there was a period of time for four or five years there where I wasn't able to train. But, um, yeah, I had a long white belt period. And I think about 2012, got my blue belt. Yeah, and this is Byron. Uh, I got I started in 2004. And, no, 2002. And uh I probably was a white belt for around two years. Okay. Yeah. So, give or take, I I don't know for sure. Nice. So, what what were we all like as a white belts, uh, and how was things coming together for us as we neared that uh, uh, blue belt level? For for me as a white belt, and again, Byron and I both started back a long time ago. The game seemed simpler back then. I was really a closed guard guy for the first couple of years when it comes to guard and, and added half guard just before I got my blue belt. That's kind of where things were coming together. I was branching out a little bit, but I was kind of old school. Um, closed guard, Kimuras, uh, and hip bump sweeps. That sounds super similar to what I was doing other than the Kimura. I tried a lot of them, but none of them ever worked. Uh, I was I – was, Definitely starting and being on the smaller side, close guard kind of was my 
comfort zone basically i tried to do a lot of collar chokes and things like that but um no matter where i was i was always trying to get back to that because that was where i felt safe and it's funny you say the hip bump sweep joe because uh i remember the first time phil and i we part we partnered up from the very first time that um he came into class and um and i remember one of the first lessons was the hip bump sweep and right away he did the hip bump sweep. I'm kind of a slow learner, um, you know, just in full disclosure. And, but it was, it was interesting because I said, Phil, this is your sweep. And from then on, he was hip bump sweep and still to this day has a great hip bump sweep and now great hip bump sweep to uh, guillotine as well. Man, I love that combination of hip bump and guillotine. It's uh I still use that all the time. I, I like that. Uh, for myself as a white belt, uh, I kind of sucks. <laughs> like just um, overall, I, I was uh, trying to play guard because I didn't have a choice. I, I I couldn't get a top game going because I didn't have a good sweep and I didn't have any. Uh, I didn't have much of a wrestling game. Sounds really familiar. <laughs> I would. I think I would have liked to play top game more, but it just didn't happen. I played guard. I would do uh, an arm bar and my arm bar was bad enough to where they could usually just pull their arm right out pretty easily. And then I would try to triangle the, the remaining arm. Um, neither mm-hmm. one of us had a ton of success and uh, they were just me trying things really. Byron, that sounds like Phil's game uh, in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good it's a good game to start with because you don't have to like if my guard if my game would have been you know like around getting the back or uh, getting mounted like that I would never have got to play my game I just didn't possess the skills to get to those positions yeah we we've kind of talked about that a lot and and me noticing that I started with closed guard and I seemed to really like it but I think I really liked it because that was the only place where I had any sort of chance. Like I, I wasn't taking anybody down and I was not sweeping anybody. So the close guard was kind of the only place that felt good for me. Yeah. I'm good for you for getting a close guard. It's hard. It's hard to obtain close guard a lot, a lot of times as well. Yeah. Um, That's why I think I like butterfly so much is it's so it's, it's hard to (laughs) block the butterfly guard from happening. That's true. That's something Jeff and I have been, working on recently looking into a lot of the different butterfly stuff. So that might be the natural progression. People kind of tend to want to take. Yeah. And that's our, that's our move of the month of the week. Cause we change weekly. We don't change. We're part of that move of the month uh, group that you guys have, but it's like weekly our, our attention shifts from one thing to another. Yeah. Well, if you have a move of the month, man, there's a lot of, um, a lot of ways you can break that down. Uh, going back to the closed guard though. And you guys were talking about moving towards, um, uh, butterfly guard man getting one butterfly hook in can just be magic you know there's so many sweeps off the you know trapping one arm and getting the opposite butterfly hook in and things like that so um that that's always been a part of my game i think is having closed guard and then getting one butterfly hook in yeah no for sure you, you know and i kind of had a different experience um as as a white belt going through white belt and that was uh and phil and i've talked about this and that is that you know, coming into jujitsu, um, I weighed 312 pounds. And, um, so within the first six months I lost 60 pounds. Right. And, um, so I had that wrestling background. So I was, you know, 
I was constantly playing top and not really developing my game on the bottom until like that mid first or second strike on my white belt. And that's whenever, that's whenever a good friend and training partner, uh, of ours said, Jeff, you have to play off of your back. You can't, you can't just, you know, you, you're not good at passing or top. It's just you have the capability of playing it because you have a number of years of wrestling and know what side control is and and that sort of thing. And um, so that was a benefit to me to have that trusted advisor say, "Hey, man, you need to you need to do nothing to play guard." And that's what I've been doing ever since I was like right after my first stripe on my white belt is just simply playing guard um, and, and going into those other things like we had the the you know, hip bump sweeps. Um, not so much that, but the, the, um, flower sweep, that's my favorite sweep and, um, others and use utilizing butterflies. We were just talking about Matt, Jeff, I've always told people nothing makes me happier when looking at the progression of my friends and teammates that when a wrestler starts playing guard, you know, they they all come in and they all want to smash at your size with your experience. You were that new guy that all the three and four stripe white belts and new blue belts just probably hated to roll with. But uh, then when you start playing guard, that's like a, a big point of progression it, it for you. Yeah, no, I think it definitely was, you know, um, and, and it's so funny because the, the person who who told me this, uh, he's he's a big guy himself. Uh very strong. We, we always compliment each other that way because, you know, that's a backhanded compliment whenever you're a bigger guy, uh, that you're strong, but he's actually really, really good at jujitsu. <laughs> and, uh, and so whenever he told me this, I really took it to heart and I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, and you know what, now I consider myself a bottom player. You know, we kind of talk about where our game's at today, M- man. I'm, I'm a, I'm a butterfly guard, open guard, half guard, player and um and i love i love that game so i had that as one of the talking points is kind of at that tail end of the white belt and transitioning through blue belt what kind of things were coming together for you because as a fairly new white belt you're just learning all the techniques that are taught to you you're just putting them all in your toolbox and, and you'll figure it out later and as you're getting to that blue belt level is when you should be starting to figure it out and uh and so my question is kind of what kind of things were coming together for you at that point? Uh, Byron, do you remember back when you were getting ready for blue belt and do you think there were certain things that were starting to click and what were they? Uh, thinking back to when I was, uh, at the top of my white belt time, it, it was just so much different back then. It was literally, and it, and it, I'm sure it's the same way at some gyms, but, I haven't been to, to one of these gyms in a long time. It was go train, and and that's basically fighting on the ground with no punches. Like th- there wasn't a whole lot of uh, playful training. There wasn't a whole lot of cooperative training. It was uh, hey, let's roll. I'm gonna try my best to submit you the entire time and, and dominate the situation, and you will too. And if I was rolling with somebody who's better than me, I remember rolling with guys who were who were just better than me. And I would never get a dominant position on them. I would never escape a a bad position on them. It would go, uh, I start my guard, they pass the guard, they get the side control, they get to mount, they submit me over and over again. And as far as what my, <laughs> like, still the same, all through, that was white belt. All, in, and into, into blue belt, the idea of 
giving somebody something to work with or, or maybe, you know, letting them recover a position if they do it properly or something like that, that just wasn't being done. And it, I'm sure there's gyms that still do that, but I don't think it's a good way to train and learn jujitsu. Byron. So as a follow up to that, how, um, because that's not the way our gym is at all. You yeah. Know I mean? I would, but I would say back in 2002, a mm-hmm. lot of gyms were that way. That was sure. more commonplace. Sure, but what kept you coming back? Like, how how did that? I don't know. <laughs> you know? We're nuts. That We're abuse, nuts. For God's I'm not that <laughs> We're it nuts. Was, it was fun. And I remember fairly early on, I think maybe it was just like three months, uh, a judo black belt came in and he, uh, I had a, t- we were doing nogi, which I was happy for because he wouldn't throw me. And he, yep. he didn't train with us. He just, he just stopped by to try to beat up some Brazilian jiu jitsu guys. And he almost choked me unconscious with my T-shirt, and I got out of it, and I armbarred him, and I was like really happy about that. I'm like, like, I felt like jujitsu works, yeah. and this guy's been training judo for I don't know how long. He had a black belt. He was uh, a lot more experienced than me, but my armbar worked, and I think that that was a big boost as far as, like, sure, I amongst my peers, I'm pretty bad, but amongst other people and some other martial arts. I could hold my own and and I really felt that that was a good good moment for me because it was kind of like a just sink or swim type of environment which I think a lot of people come in and they don't come back that's that's how that business model works <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah Phil yeah, yeah doesn't yeah. work Phil yes yeah, what, keep, what keeps people coming back in that model the truth is a lot of people didn't keep coming back and I think as we've seen the way that we train evolve a little bit I think that's part of why jiu-jitsu has exploded in the last 10 years. And 100%. I love the I love the quote that um, when you guys had Rafael Lovato Sr. on and he said, train 50% for you and 50% for your partner. I use I that, that quote all the time and it was it was unbelievably unbelievably impactful in my training and helps guide me in what I do um, in the future and, and, and knowing, bringing those uh, – you know, people who are coming up through the ranks um, that that maybe are, are less experienced than me, really showing me how to train with them. Yeah, our professor uh, John Plyler always talks about um, the importance of building good training partners and like making them into your best training partners is the guy you, most times that you don't expect or whatever. Um, and I, I think that applies to that situation really well. Yeah, you know, uh, Phil, I've always said that you're never the same person. Two days in a row, every day you wake mm-hmm. up, you're a little better at something, or you, maybe you took a step backwards. I, I like what you just said. You're either building your training partners or you're breaking them down. After each role, after each class, everybody's either a little better or they're a little bit more broken down. So I think that's a great way to look at it. You're, you're building training partners for your future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and going back to the training, um, the other thing that he, I like that he does a lot is is so much positional sparring and that like going back to what you said, uh, Byron, about how if your game was mount, you never would have got to work it. So the positional stuff that gives you the opportunity to figure out those positions that you wouldn't normally be in, especially when you're starting out. Uh, that's what made me really like, you know, the back. Not that I was taking anybody's back, but it's it gave me a goal. It's definitely something to work towards. And the positional gave me that experience. And without it, I, I would have no idea. Yeah, that's awesome. That, and and positional sparring is no no secret, you know. Like, but back in the day, and I'm sure Joe could attest to this as well. We didn't do that. It was if if you wanted a position, go get it. 
and and we could so there was there was techniques there was drills so i you know i i get guard i work on my armbar drill you let me you give me nothing and then there was rolling that were the the modes that of learning and the idea of positional sparring i i don't recall anybody doing that um early on in jujitsu and there wasn't a good communication system you know we we're watching vhs tapes and looking at books as well so it's so much different than today you know we've got the bjj fanatics uh, account and have you know tons of those instructionals that we've got at our fingertips at any time and you can go on youtube or anything and find a, a you know content on how to get out of this you know or that it's incredible the amount of information that's out there on jujitsu today and i'm i'm thankful for it actually yeah, absolutely. If you if you would have gone on online, because it was around in 2005 when I started for um, I remember going online and you could get these like where they'd have four or five pictures, like the first picture, the guy's in closed guard. He kind of explains that. Then he sits up like in the hip bump position, explains that. And then he gets his grips for the corner, explains that. So there was a little bit around. But like when YouTube first came out, their algorithms, they wouldn't recognize butterfly guard. You type that in, they wouldn't have a clue. But today you go on YouTube and you type in butterfly guard and there's 50 videos pop up and a lot of them will be high quality instructionals. Yeah, for sure. And Joe, I want to ask you kind of a follow up question to your um, your short stint at White Belt, two thousand four to two thousand twelve. <laughs> um, so, so what what contributed to that? I mean, you know, obviously it, it had to with your job uh, uh, being a seaman. That's got to be uh, tough to have consistency, right? Right. Um, but but what what kind of what was your journey like that that eight years as a white belt, you know? Well, so th- there was a long break where there was almost nothing. I trained for about a year and a half, and then I moved. And when I moved, I took a job that was – I was 28 days on a boat and 14 days at home. And back in those days, it was just harder to find schools and harder to find schools that would work with unusual situations like that. So I just couldn't find any place to train. And it was about 2010 I got – uh a job where I was working in Brazil and that's where I started training again. And even then it was, I'd be in Brazil for a couple months and train and then home for a month and not train. So it was a long, but by then the internet was, was uh, pretty well populated with jujitsu uh, material. So that helped a lot, but yeah, that's what it was a, a little bit of a break and then some off and on training. That's gotta be really tough to develop a game with kind of that off and on. Right. I mean, what was your game like? Is that three or four stripe white belt? Well, like I said, I was mostly closed guard. And right before this is kind of funny, right before I got my blue belt, um, the Internet was starting to, to get popular with jujitsu material. And I came across some half guard stuff and actually from a source that today is considered to be not too reputable. But back in those days, I didn't know nothing. And it and it helped. And because my training partners they they just opened up a gym in town this is when i started being able to train when i was home my training partners didn't have access to this or didn't know where to find it so i was the only guy in the gym playing half guard so i had a brief period of time where i felt like a superhero but that didn't last very long (laughs) (laughs) they all they all uh got used to that quickly yeah so um Thinking back on this, and we've all talked about our own journeys and stuff, but if we were advising guys that are two, three, four stripes, white belts now, what are kind of some crucial things that they they need to know or that they need to be doing? 
Um, I, I would say one of the things that they need to be doing is is not ha- having big gaps or holes in their game. We talk about it on the podcast a lot that everybody should have a couple, maybe two, three moves from each position. So in my mind, that's one of the big things. What do you guys think if somebody's three, four stripe white belt and they're trying to go over the hump? What are some things they need to be focusing on? I think the the most important thing that I've gotten um, from talking to a lot of different black belts and people who are a lot smarter than me is it always comes back to consistency. Whatever your training schedule is, whatever you can do consistently over a long stretch, that's that's what you should do. Um, just every time I hear a different really smart black belt talk, they always say the same thing. It's the fundamentals and it's showing up and practicing those consistently. Perfect. Yeah. And, and I'll add to that is that, um, you know, at, at three or four stripes on your white belt, you're going to notice that your upper belts are going to roll with you. They may roll with you a little differently. You're going to notice that your professor is going to roll with you and he may roll with you differently. What I would say is they're going to give you opportunities in those uh, in, in those roles, uh, or at least that's what I experienced. And um, they want to see you go for those things. Like, you know, for example, if you're in if they've given you mount, they're also going to give you something else. So if they stick that left arm out there, go for the, the go for the Americana. You know, go for it. Don't think it's a trick. It, that That's one of the things it's like, go for it and see what happens. Um, and, you know, Byron, this is a plug for for yours. The, the Nike method. Just do it. I mean, that's what you should be doing as a three or four stripe white belt is not worrying about the consequences of what you're what you're trying, but just to try it because you're in a safe training environment. Yeah, yeah th- that's awesome. It, and that, that's the environment that I that I didn't have when I was uh, starting off. It was if I went for this, uh, this arm lock from mount and didn't get it, I wasn't going to see mount again for my next three rolls. <laughs> like this is my one chance to try this. Don't screw it up. And <laughs> it, that's not at all the way uh, most people roll these days. Like I, I, I am rolling also to have fun. And if as a black belt, I'm smashing a white belt or a blue belt or a purple belt and, and just like totally controlling and, and enforcing my game on this uh, role. That's really not that fun. I, I I want to have some give and take. And sure, like I'm I, I want to see your best game as well. Like I want to I want to wade right into that and see, OK, let's see. So your 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 favorite part is your half guard sleeps list. I want to be in your half guard. I want to see what you're going to do and, and see see what you have for me there, because I know as a blue belt. If your best part is your half guard game, that might be closer to the purple belt game, and I and I want to see how that's doing. Yeah, and another thing I uh, I've said before, kind of just realized myself, it's not the best strategic advice probably, but just like go try to do the moves that you think are fun, like the positions you think are fun. <laughs> that is really um, good. Cause, yeah, because uh, our professor John said at one point, uh, he said you don't have to like for the move that fits you or fits your body type that move's going to find you and you're going to find yourself trying to do it and that's how you get good at it is by practicing those moves so even even if it's not like in theory the best like i love pressure passing at 150 pounds you know it doesn't always make the most sense but it's it's what i like to try to do and i'm just going to keep beating my head into the wall until i figure it out so you know that's just 
that's how I keep coming back is, is I just think it's fun. So, and at 210 pounds, I'm an outside passer. So go figure. Well, I, I know one thing I've got a lot of training partners that are in that 150, 160, 70 range. And, uh, they seem to be able to defy the laws of physics. You know, pr- pressure <laughs> passing is, is as much about technique as it is about the actual force or weight or whatever. So, Go for it, Phil. You're gonna be a, you're gonna be a great pressure passer one of these days. One of these days. Yeah, I'm sure you're, you're well on your way already. So if he gets that head and the hip on that over under pass, you're in, a, in for a bad time. Th- there you go. Yeah, you st- you stack a guy enough, and it doesn't take much weight <laughs> to make that pressure unbearable. Yep. Hey guys, when you got your blue belts. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. I'll, I'll, I'll start so that you guys have a uh, time to think about it. Um, I got my blue belt. I was training at a school here in Texas that was not doing very well. And so I contacted the guy that I trained with in Brazil, my professor down there, Luis Paulo, and asked him if there's any way, any ideas he had to help us out. And he said, I'll come up and do a seminar. And then I think I got a black belt that would like to come up there and, and help you run the school. So um, so he came up and did the seminar and he told me uh, or he contacted me about eight weeks before he came and said, uh, um, how would you like your name? Do you want your full name? What do you want on your blue belt certificate? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, so you want to talk about the pressure being on? You know, I, I trained with him for over a year in Brazil and, and kept in touch with him. So he knew where I was at and he knew I was I was ready. But, man, I didn't think I was ready. Um, so so anyway. Man, I worked my ass off and he came up and, and we did the uh, um, promotion. And at that time, it was pretty common. We did a, a gauntlet and we did a gauntlet that when I got my purple belt, but under current management, my school doesn't do it anymore. Uh, what was you guys' promotion day like? Did you do the gauntlet? How do you feel about it? Um, so, yeah, so my my promotion, uh, it was actually like on a Tuesday night. You know, it was a Tuesday night class. It wasn't a seminar or anything. And uh, it was me and and one of my good training partners, uh, Mark Yelton. And we both got promoted to uh, Blue Belt on the same night. And um, Phil wasn't there. And I'll still never forgive him for that. <laughs> um, I had no idea. It was a complete shock to me. I was a three-stripe white belt when I got promoted. So I really, I, I had, I had no, I had no, um, a reason to believe I'd be promoted that night and had no idea like you had that forewarning of eight weeks that, that you were getting your blue belt. You know, I looking back on it, when I kind of look back on it, I look back on rolling with, um, with our professor and, and the upper belts and, and kind of the change in the tone of the role. Right. And that's kind of what I noticed going into it. And, um, and so after that we did, I did, uh, do a gauntlet. There was, it was a Tuesday night class. So there was like 25 people there. Um, and being, uh, the imbecile that I am, I took my shirt off and uh, <laughs> did it the old fashioned way. Me and Mark both did and, um, and, uh, did it. And, and I view it as a rite of passage. And I also view it as if people don't agree with the gauntlet, I don't think anyone makes you do the gauntlet. And so I, I had no problem with doing it myself and I'll have no problem doing it again and again. Um, but I do understand if people have objections to it and, and, um, but I did feel like it was a rite of passage for me. 
Yeah, I got my uh, mine. At, it was a promotion seminar, and I wasn't necessarily 100% sure, but I had a feeling because it was just, you know, I had been at Four Stripes for a while, and it just seemed to make sense because it was a promotion seminar. But uh, going back a couple months earlier, um, this story kind of sort of relates, but me and a, one of my best training partners now actually started on the same exact day, which I thought was funny looking back on. Um, but there was a promotion seminar earlier, probably three months before the one I got my blue belt and, uh, he got promoted to blue belt and I didn't. And at the time for a couple of days, I was kind of bummed out or upset about it. Um, and it's funny looking back now, it's what do those three months even mean basically. But, uh, you know, I was kind of bummed out for a couple of days. Um, but then like, you kind of just go right back to class and it, you know, doesn't really have any effect. Like when we train, the same stuff happens with the same people. And it was the same way after I actually got the blue belt of I train and the same stuff is happening. You know, I'm doing what doing well with some people and not doing so good with most. So didn't really change anything, but I'm kind of happy. I got that, uh, belt kind of expectations, disappointment thing kind of got that out of the way. And also behind that too, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, um, things you can doubt and have imposter syndrome with the, with moving to blue belt. But you know, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that, um, that helped me is that something that you guys said, and that is trust your professor on the promotions. There's reasons for things, you know, Phil was a very active competitor and, um, you know, to get those, to get those couple extra competitions at that higher level of white belt to show, show him where he was at in that spectrum, I thought, thought was, was ingenious, uh, on his part for, for allowing that and, and, and making that happen. And, um, you know, again, I never had that imposter syndrome because I always trusted our professor. And, and part of that was from your guys black boat belt episode. I don't know if you remember, uh, Byron, whenever you asked the questions, did you ever, uh, regret promoting a blue belt? to all those black belts on the show. Yeah. It was a great show. And, and, um, no one in that entire, in that entire spectrum of black belts, great black belts that you guys interviewed said that they'd ever regretted promoting someone to blue belt. So, you know, the belts are what they are. I'm not, I'm not concerned about them, but I'm I also, I also give the respect to my, my, um, coach in that I trust his judgment. And if he says I'm a blue belt, I'm a blue belt. Yeah, that's awesome. It's sometimes harder to to realize that. It's easy to say somebody else, yeah, he got his blue belt or she got hers. Coach says so. That makes sense. But when it's it's you, sometimes it feels different because you like deep down you know, man, I got some problems with my game. <laughs> so that's that's good. Just I mean, you are trusting the judgment of your coach. And when I got my blue belt, it so I, I trained with a bunch of white belts, some of which had been training for five years or around that range, and then one purple belt. That was my, uh, that was the room. And so I, I mean, the problem with us talking about, uh, so 2002 jujitsu is that's pretty rare. I mean, you have to go to a pretty small town uh, to find a room with one colored belt teaching a bunch of white belts typically like that's most of the time there's there's just better situations to train it but that's the, that's what there was that was the only gym in town in, in wichita and and that's that's where i trained 
And I met my first, I think the first black belt I ever met was Alan Hopkins. And that was maybe mm -hmm. at the, the one year mark. And then I, then around two years in, uh, Eric Williams, he's a black belt from Houston, uh, Texas, uh, elite MMA, I think is his gym name. I tried to interview him. Haven't got him yet. <laughs> he just, yeah, and he does a lot of stuff. He does a lot of stuff with MMA. Yeah. Uh, because one of our buddies that were on, was on our show, Andrew Faraday, he does the fight game series and he interviewed him for that. So yeah, he's really, really good. Yeah. I, I really, he was a really neat person and I would love to interview him. I just don't have a, I just need to call the gym. I think is <laughs> I'm not the most aggressive guy that seeks interviews. If I send you a message on Facebook, you don't answer. I send you an email. You don't answer. I'd leave people alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so he came and it was, I think he taught it. I could be mixing this up a little bit, but I think he taught a seminar. And then I think we did a belt test and the, the test had basically two parts. He, he showed, he said, show me your guard sweeps. Show me your amount of tax. And uh, like he just kind of, we kind of went through things because he did not know me. My belt instructor knew me and recommended me for a belt. But he, he walked into town a day or two ago and, and was trying to figure out where I was on this scale of, of, you know, blue belt or white belt. And then, so we, we showed a bunch of techniques and then he paired us up with, with as close as he could. He put the two guys that were always smashing me together and had them roll. He goes, you guys roll, roll hard. He goes, if I feel like you're, you're not rolling hard and you're letting each other do techniques, I'm not going to like it. And so they went after it. And then he paired me up with Gary and said, same thing, roll hard. I want to see what you can do. And we tried so hard to, to <laughs> submit each other and just murder it. We, it was, I'm sure it looked terrible, but <laughs> the effort was there. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, two white belts trying to kill each other. And at the end of the day, I didn't know how it went. And he, he lined us all up. There's only like seven of us probably. Uh, and, and he started talking to each one of us individually. And I remember when he got to me, he told, so I'm sitting there with my white belt on and he told me, you got some serious problems with your game. <laughs> he, he says he, he commented. I remember when he, when I did my technique portion, I did the arm bar, which was my, my top two technique arm bar, then triangle. Mm -hmm. And the problem with my arm bar, my hips were so low to the ground that they would pull their elbow out, which led to my triangle. But it was a terrible arm bar. I didn't realize that I would throw my leg over and hip into as hard as I could. Uh, so he, he said, uh, doing the technique portion, he told me, stop doing the arm bar. That's not, it's not right. I'm like, man, that's my best thing. <laughs> uh, so he told me, you have some, you have some serious holes or problems with your game. My, my arm bar wasn't any good. And my half guard, I don't know what I was doing in half guard. It was really just <laughs> it, 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 that, that half guard in 2000 and, uh, four ish time range. Um, I think it was, uh, not really, we really didn't understand the underhook, which is a major part of a half guard. Yeah. Uh, which seems ridiculous, but that's just no video. No, no. I don't know if you can go back and find a, a book back in that time that talked about half guarding underhooks. Like it, I, I didn't understand it. I would try half my half guard was literally you're halfway to passing my guard. You're half, it's half, it's half it. mount. Yeah. <laughs> back, back, back in those days, if I tried to play half guard, I was just half mounted. <laughs> so he 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 told me all that stuff. I'm like, well, I ain't getting my blue belt. And then he handed me my blue belt. <laughs> 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 he 
and told and told my coach work with him on on these things. And that was, I had a little bit of that, uh, you know, like I didn't, I didn't feel good about it, but you know, you you put the belt on and you and you and back in the day you just fight extra hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So so guys, we we've touched a little bit on the imposter syndrome. Uh, we're past where we've got our blue belts. Uh, any of y'all deal with the blue belt blues? I know Phil, Jeff, you guys are still in your blue belt journey. Uh, Byron, how about you? Did you have the blue belt blues at any point? I can't remember that. I think the blue belt <laughs> blues hit. <laughs> a, a from my memory is not that good. It's been a little a couple of years, but I think the blue belt blues typically hits almost immediately. It feels like you crossed the finish line and you've accomplished something. And then, and then you go back to roll and all the good white belts are still good white belts and you're not necessarily a good blue belt yet, you know, and all the blue belts are yeah. basically rolling like you were when you're white belt. They're a little bit better. It's just kind of, it could be a, a little bit of a demotivating thing. So if, it, if you can get first, get past first those few months of training and just accept kind of what's going on in your jujitsu, that's the, I think that's kind of where the blues hit. They don't hit to, that I've noticed, you know, mid to late blue belt. I think it happens pretty early on. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that was, go, go ahead, Phil. That was my pretty much experience. Uh, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't say I had the blues where I was considering quitting at any point and I was still going very consistently, but it was definitely frustrating for a while right after I got my blue belt and the, and the fact that I kind of came to the realization I couldn't get on top at any point. Like I couldn't sweep, I couldn't take people down and, and new people, if they came in and had like 50, 60 pounds on me, it was you know, it was super tough, even if they don't really know what they're doing, just dealing with somebody that big. Um, so that definitely got frustrating for a while, but man, grinding through it really is, is worth it. Um, if you can kind of get through that and then kind of get back to having fun. And once you figure some, a couple of things out, it really, really fixes, uh, those blues. Yeah. And whenever, whenever I was going through that period of, of just being promoted, you know, a lot of people feel like there's a target on their back and everything like that. I never felt that way. I mean, I, um, my experience has always been um, really positive. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's the difference in size. I never had that, um, you know, I never had that fear of a, a, a wrestler that was a big guy, some someone like myself coming in and and um, being really tough to deal with. And um, so I, I stayed consistent, but I know, I know it's a real thing. I mean, I talked to to some good buddies of mine about this before we, we, uh, we were going to do this podcast and they just, they said, you know, that a, you know, that, the that the upper belts would really turn it up on them after they got their blue belt, which you know what they, they should, they should turn it up a little bit and make sure that they're getting that, um, getting that blue belt experience. I mean, you know, part of, part of being, a, a kind of, well, my impression of part of being early on in your, blue belt is that you have to get smashed some because guess what as a white belt it's still acceptable to tap to pressure right i mean nobody debates that but as a blue belt it's not acceptable <laughs> you know <laughs> don't get me started on that one <laughs> no, no i mean I well I'm, what's that i i said don't get me started on, on pressure i debate my coach on pressure all the time do is you really is your coach yeah. jake fox Yes. <laughs> yeah, that guy knows how to put pressure on Jeff. Just, just trust me. <laughs> no, no, no. I get that. I, I get that. But you, 
I, and I'm talking to Byron. I'm talking in a in a general sense, you know, blue belt to blue belt, or uh, yeah. you know, not somebody who. I mean, I get it. Those those people who you know they they get the finger in the armpit, they pull you, you know, kind of roll you up and pull you into them, and it's like, yeah, this is terrible, um, and and, and you don't want to be there. But but in general, in general, ninety percent of the time you're not going to tap the pressure, right? I mean, it might happen occasionally here and there, but but I feel like you have to know what that pressure is even early on in your blue belt cycle, right? You've got you've got to feel what that that means. And um otherwise otherwise you're not getting that full experience. And I'm not saying for doing it the whole round or anything like that, but but really um you know, you, you do the uh, upper belts A, they have to ramp it up to you know, kind of stay ahead of the curve and B to see where you're at. Yeah. I, re- I remember the first time I felt real pressure. I think I was a brown belt or maybe late purple belt. And I was one with Hanato Tavares who weighs maybe 145, maybe 150. Very short, very, very strong, but not heavy. And he was smashing me from mount or side control. And I was confident that somebody was playing a joke on me and they were pushing on his back like <laughs> what is happening here like i had i probably had 10 years on the mat and i was like what is happening like how is this guy doing this but my my quick pressure thing because my my coach jake fox he does he he'll he loves tapping people to pressure and i tell him it's not a real submission yeah, uh, yeah. Full, full disclosure <laughs> here full disclosure <laughs> phil jeff Jake Fox tapped me about a month ago due to pressure, exhaustion, and suffocation. And, <laughs> and I swear to you, I was trying to offer him submissions along the way. <laughs> and he yeah. refused to take them. Like that, take that, it, for God's sake. <laughs> that predator meme where he says, just kill me. <laughs> but my thing with the, with the pressure is, and I argue pressure is not a real submission, is that, um, is as I would, I would turn around and say, could this person tap you to pressure and he would say no well could they tap you with a renegade choke he would say yes then then it's so much attribute dependent or skill dependent and and i don't care like i'm a black belt rally osimba is going to tap me to pressure he's like if that's what he wants to do it's gonna work and, and there's a bunch of black belts or brown belts and purple belts that don't have names that that you would recognize that could tap me to pressure i willingly tap to that like i don't want to get injured doing jujitsu so if pressure's the 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 thing that's going to injure me, my ribs getting broke or damaged, um, I try not to pat. So and I don't tap a lot the pressure. I can't remember the last time I actually did, but uh, I try not to tap from panic, which is different than pressure. But that's uh, that's probably a much better way to say it. Yeah, I. But I don't. I don't. I try to get to Jake. It's not a fun training environment to take a <laughs> take a, a blue belt and tap that person to pressure. That was a sucky role for that blue belt. And Jake just he, he just enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to throw out here that Jake runs one of the best gyms around. <laughs> he's an all around nice guy. Yeah, he, he's a super nice guy. And, and but I, I yeah, I don't uh, let him get access to my ribs very easily. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the half guard is half mounted when you're rolling with a guy like Jake. It's just a miserable position to be in. So I don't even know what I, I derailed it with the pressure thing, but well, <laughs> I say back if you the... want to tap to restart, do it. And if and if somebody is consistently just smashing you and it's it's a miserable role, that reminds me of back when I was a white belt. Like maybe you should roll with a tr- better training partner 
and 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 work on you know your frames and work on getting your hips away a little bit and then come back to them later on if you had some time to figure out how to deal with it because just being stuck with pressure pretty miserable well we, and i we, think you hit, hit the nail on the head too uh byron with the panic tapping to panic and also just noting whenever they have that pressure say that they're inside control they have that that uh that hand under the the armpit and they've got you pulled in and your chin's to the side and it has that bad pressure. If if you're doing the right things, you know, pull you know, putting your arm up, pulling the shoulder down to get your just get a little bit of space, then they ease up. But you know, they want to know that you you're you know the proper ways to kind of inch forward and get out of those uh, tough situations. Yeah. That's that's coach doing that. So my wife has had some negative rolls with pressure so she's got a really good guillotine and a really skinny arm <laughs> like her forearm and she'll she'll roll with she'll see a guy 190 pounds fairly new you know two or three months she will guillotine him almost immediately and and then it's on because he didn't want to do that again and then so she's had several roles where it's the guy gets her on the ground after being guillotined and tapped right away and then just pressures her for the remaining time and she refuses to tap, but she hates jujitsu during those rolls. I'm like, just tap and restart or tap and be done. Like, she won't do it. She's too stubborn. But it's just, there's a place for pressure. And it's not with somebody who is struggling to figure out what's happening in their jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, agreed. It's especially, uh, I've been in this situation a couple of times where it's, you're rolling with somebody who's much, much larger and they don't really do anything, but you can't get out. And it's kind of just a trapped Rolls, yeah. just not very fun. Yeah, let's do jujitsu here, guys. Let's not uh, just lay on me and smash me. Yeah, yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not very very fun. It's not very productive either. Uh, this is kind of an oddball topic, but uh, we're talking about transitioning through the ranks, uh, guys. How important is it to compete? I don't know if you guys think it's necessary. If you encourage it, I've always kind of felt that it's a good idea to compete at at least at least once at each belt rank. And I haven't competed yet at purple, so maybe that's why I'm stagnating. But how do you guys feel about that? I personally love uh, competing. Like our school is not a big uh, competition school, but they definitely support you if you want to do it. Um, that's a big motivating factor for me in, in getting better and pushing myself uh, is competition. I think everybody – I personally think everybody should do it at least once, no matter when you do it, just because that is such a different uh, – experience of jujitsu and no matter how hard you train like nobody's coming at you the same way that they will in a competition uh even if you're only doing it for self-defense purposes you know nobody in class is going to grab you that same way and it gives you that adrenaline dump and you will get a, just a different look at how your jujitsu is under stress because that's when it matters most um in my opinion so i think i find it personally very important um I don't think people need to do it all the time necessarily, but I, I just really think it would be good for everybody to at least try it to see what it is like. Yeah. I, I think your points about the adrenaline jump and how your jujitsu performs under pressure, under pressure are key. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I'm on, along the same line of thinking as you, Joe. So I, I agree. You should uh, compete every belt level I have. Um, I'm going to continue to Phil and I are actually doing master worlds this year if they have it. Um, uh, but I think it's just an important part of development because inevitably, you know, the great thing is you're playing your A game in competition. I, 
in the gym until I'm in competition class, I'm very rarely playing my A game. You know, uh, you, you know, I, I play off my back. I play um, an open guard style, half guard style um, sweeping game. And in competition, I, I strictly stick with my wrestling takedown, top control pass submission. That's that's my that's my game plan the whole time, which is nothing like I play in the in the regular class in jujitsu. Um, so, you know, I think I think that you you can learn from where there's holes in your A game and to see you know how developed your your B and C game really is. So I think it teaches you a lot and gives you gives you things to work on, um, if nothing else. Yeah, good stuff, guys. Uh, I, I like Phil talking about uh, uh, adrenaline and that sort of thing. I I think there's definitely something to be said for that. I say go compete. If it's something that's interesting to you, go do it. If if you you're thinking you'd rather not, that's fine. If you're interested in it but nervous, I like doing stuff that makes me nervous. <laughs> that's kind of that's a fun thing to do. If something makes you a little nervous, but. Uh, learning how to control like if i roll with any blue belt in my gym or white belt or anybody in my gym none of them are nervous that i'm gonna hurt them none i hope not none of none of them are having an adrenaline rush we're we're just doing some jujitsu we're just rolling we're having uh, a good time sure we might be working pretty hard but they know that their safety is one of the most important things that we're that's on that's going on right now uh if they don't understand that i need to a verbal conversation, not just rolling needs to happen. But like, if I feel that they don't care about my safety, we talk about that too, but they shouldn't be panicking. But when you compete, you, you match up with somebody who you don't know. They don't know you. You're not going to see them begin tomorrow. They're not on your team. I mean, we're all on the same jujitsu team, but they're not, mm-hmm. they're not, a lot of those guys don't, gals don't care about you. <laughs> like they're here to win. And, and whatever you're going to present to them, they're going to try to solve that and, and tap you out. And your safety is far from the the most important thing on on their minds. So you, even if you just go to compete to see what it's like, you still will get some sort of a drilling rush. And I haven't competed for quite a while, but uh, I did enjoy doing it back in the day. And I think I did grow quite a bit. Um, but I don't really have a huge desire to compete. My I might when I <laughs> when I retire from my job job. I, I might uh, pick that up again, but um, I have to have my all my limbs working for my job. So I uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just not the. It's also not the most interesting thing um, for me. I I just really enjoy training and getting better at jujitsu. You know. And, sorry, Byron. Go ahead. You know, you're good. Yeah, that's just that's where I'm at right now with my jujitsu. Is just to get better and enjoy the process. Okay, I, I was going to say, I think that something everybody touched on was the difference in intensity between training rounds and competition rounds. And I remember my first uh, competition in 2005, I got my arm hyperextended in a belly down arm bar pretty good my first or second round. And, and I remember that was the thing is I knew I was I knew I was getting submitted and I just couldn't get to the tap quick enough. And things just happen so much quicker and so much more ferociously in a competition round. And I think if nothing else, just to kind of be reminded of that, 
uh, is a good reason for competition. This is completely off the subject, but I also feel that a little bit of MMA training is really good for jiu-jitsu players to be reminded that if you get in a conflict, if you get in an altercation on the street, the other guy's going to throw punches. So how well is your jiu-jitsu going to throw up, hold up through punches? But um, yeah, I think it's important to realize that in a, in a fight, things are going to happen quicker and more violently than they ever will on a training mat. And Joe, totally agree with you. We we actually have a, a Friday class that deals with the striking with jiu-jitsu so that you're aware of that positional awareness and where you're at um, in those situations. It's a great class, super fun. You know, the, the strikes, we we don't actually hit each other in the face or anything like that. But but we wear gloves and, and give little love taps and, and that sort of thing. I think that's a big part of, of making sure that your jiu-jitsu holds up in a self-defense situation. And the second thing is, when are you going to commit to a competition? Because it sounds like that you've already decided you, your jujitsu's getting a little bit stagnant right now. <laughs> it would be great for you to do that. So the best way to do that is to commit to a date for the competition. Jeff, we didn't invite you all on this show to hold me accountable <laughs> for my jujitsu. <laughs> Don't say this week. This week. Yeah, this week. If there's a competition in Houston this week, I'm going to be on it. <laughs> no, hey, hey, I really appreciate that. We're joking around. We're in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Nobody's training or doing competitions. But, uh, Jeff, that is on my radar. I need to get a competition scheduled. Um, so, <laughs> but that's not why we and, had you geez, on the show. You know, <laughs> I know, but I do want to say this because we do, I mean, I do feel strongly about competition and this is, you know, anytime that a, a white belt walks up and says, Hey, when is it time to do competition? I was like, now you're thinking about competition. So now it's time to do it. I agree. The, the one thing with, with that is sometimes they put so much pressure on themselves when they're still so new at jujitsu and they go out there and they have a tough time on the, on the competition mats. And that's, Lost to see him. That's always disappointing when you lose a teammate. Then I, you boo boo boo, sorry, blue belt blues, or maybe uh, competition disappointment that knocks out people too uh, from training long term. And training three months, I want to compete. That's cool. Go do go do the competition, but just know that we still have a lot more work to do on you, and and you're going to improve a lot more. So whatever happens out there, you know, best of luck and, and fight super hard. But we're going to be back here Monday morning or Monday evening, whenever you train and, uh, and get, and get to work on what we found out. Yeah. Something, something key there, Byron is, is really trusting your coach. I remember my first, my actual first class I went to and we did the warm ups, and then they had some open training. And back then it was more than just open roll, but, um, I want to do it. And my coach said, uh, I'm not going to throw you to the wolves, man. Come to a few more classes first. And, and so that's what I did. And it progressed fine. And, and I think a good coach is going to tell you the same thing when it comes to competition. So a lot of people might ask us on our podcasts, when should I compete? But your coach is really the right person to ask for that job. And hopefully if you've got a big flaw in your game or there's something that's going to put you in a dangerous spot, if you compete, he's going to tell you to wait till the next competition and uh, your coach is a great resource for that. Yeah, I felt super lucky because I, I had you know the coach that I have, and when he told me if you're thinking about doing it, you should he recommends doing it earlier. Yeah, that the competition experience you got to get that out of the way. And I I was the guy who went in pretty much three months after rolling. I wanted to do a competition. 
I went in with zero expectations of winning because I was pretty realistic with myself that, you know, I don't have any takedowns, any sweeps, I don't, you know, but I need to do this to get it out of the way. And man, that first competition was a mess. So I was really happy I got it out of the way because <laughs> then they were rapidly improving after that because I had quite the ugly performance the first time out. But um, yeah, it's a bummer to hear people do bad in a competition and give up. I, I feel like every time I've lost a competition, it has been so beneficial for me going forward to, to you know, I got choked with a loop choke in one of my last competitions. And that has brought a lot of awareness to my head position that I've made fun of having my head down for a long time. But, you know, it really brings it to the forefront. What something you've been ignoring when you lose in a competition like that with, you know, a couple friends watching or whatever and on video, and then you got to go back and watch it. It's just losing has been a big beneficial thing for me. Hashtag Rhino guard. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> the, the big part of, of that is losing a competition. That's whenever your teammates pick you up. You know, I don't, there's never been a time when somebody lost, you know, even Phil, I was there for Phil's first competition. He lost, you know, in spectacular fashion. And, uh, and, and I was, you know, I just told him I was proud of him. He got out there and competed, you know, just giving that support to those people that are doing that competition is so important. It makes you grow as as a teammate as well. That's awesome. I think that's something that your coach realizes it happens a lot when, when the competition doesn't go well is that Phil doesn't walk off and sit on the bleachers for an hour and then go home never to be seen again. He's going to get some conversations about, Hey, I'm proud of you. I know you're disappointed in your performance, but uh, I'm proud of you stepping up here and doing this and we'll see on the mats, you know, the next time we train Um, that that's some, that's something you said about the team you guys have there. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, everyone, we've said it before. Everyone asks, um, you know, whenever you say you did a competition, first off, nobody really cares, but you, how you did in the competition. That's true. You know? And so they ask, and you know, whatever the answer is like, you know, what if it's, I lost every match. They're like, Oh, cool. Great. And then if, if it's, well, I won every match and I dominated. Oh, cool. Great. Let's move on to the next topic. Yeah. Yeah. I lost fast enough to not even get sweaty. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. <we> wanted- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Like that's a lot of people's first match is yeah. is jujitsu happens. It could be ten seconds of jujitsu. It could be three months of training, ten seconds, it's over. Man, I suck at this. What else can I maybe not not maybe what can I also do with my time other than th- than this? That's <laughs> but having that good was, support network there is very important. To go out in ten seconds. That was my biggest fear of competing was losing in like ten seconds, you know, and then it happened and I was like, Oh, that's not so bad, got that out of the way. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome yeah it's i mean it, it it's and the hard thing to realize with jujitsu competition especially when you're when you're maybe especially when you're new maybe not but there's a lot of it you can't control if your first competition you got matched up with the person who was almost a blue belt or wrestled their whole life or whatever you're gonna lose that match <laughs> like there's yeah. go out there and do your best but there's almost nothing you go out. All you can control is, is your effort and your game plan. And, and like the size of your end of the table, the other side of the, of the, of the mat there is all out of your control. And if there's something that you're not prepared for or something that, that, that you can't, you don't match up well with, it's just, it's just going to be hard to do well. And it's just, it's just, it's hard for people to understand that, that sometimes the, the matches over well before, like, if somebody beats you in a matter of seconds, 
or like has if the match is in linear fashion, as in it goes, they take me down, they pass my guard, they get the side control, they tap me with a choke. That probably would have happened ten out of ten times. <laughs> like, uh, now, if, now if I could go from side control to recover my guard and almost get a sweep, like if it's kind of a more of a of a thing, but if it's just in a straight line right to their progression, there's there's almost nothing I could have done to stop that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe have a depressing view on competition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something you else. control your effort, you control how hard you train coming up to it, you control your game plan. Those are all on you. And, and work with those and whatever the results are, know that you did your best. You know, Byron, something I always try and tell new competitors um, is that 50% of everybody that competes in this tournament is going to lose in their first round. Mm-hmm. And you look, t- take two things from that. One of them is don't feel bad if you lose. I mean, you went out there, you did your best, you trained hard, uh, you, you tried to implement your game plan, and you lost. That happened to half the people that entered the tournament. But the other thing I tell people is that means you've got as much business of winning this thing as anybody else does. Half the people are going to lose. Could be you, could be them. You just go out and do your best and you're going to fall on whichever side you fall on. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Joe. So speaking of advice, guys, uh, we've been on here for an hour. It's been a great conversation. I thought we'd close with maybe some advice uh, for people going through this portion of their journey and one thing I did is I put out a, a post on our private Facebook group page for our Patreon supporters. And I got some feedback and I thought we'd go through a couple of these real quick. Uh, Jamie said uh, one thing that she experienced was it was difficult when other people didn't agree with her promotion. And she went on to talk about counting years on the mat versus counting hours on the mat. And I get the impression that she was one of these that came in and she spent, you know, four days a week on the mats and, after a year or two, someone spending four days on the weeks, uh, four days a week on the mat, as opposed to somebody spending two. I mean, that's twice as much time. So you're going to progress at different rates. And I want to say that I've seen this happen before. I've seen people congratulate somebody on a promotion with like, "Wow, you got promoted in X amount of months. That's really unheard of. You know that that's really unusual." But congratulations anyway. Like, there's something suspect about your promotion. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but if somebody comes up to you and and they feel like they're getting some pushback from other students or people don't agree with their promotion, what do you guys have to say about that? I think it goes back to trusting your professor. They know what they're doing. Um, And that's the great thing about them. The mats, you know, they don't lie. So good point. If you're, if your professor thinks that you deserve that promotion and you've been working for it, um, I wouldn't worry too much about what another student has to say. And I'd also add to that. I would say that it's, uh, if someone does bring that up, I'd be like, well, you know, that's kind of disrespectful to my coach. Um, you know, and, and, and ask them, Hey, do you, do you trust their judgment? And if so, then drop the subject. Yep. Yeah. That's a good point. It's on the coach. It's not on me. They thought I was ready. Um, I would also turn this around and say to any white belts that are listening, there is a definite difference between hours in the mat and days or, or years on the mat. So if you're looking to sort of turbocharge your training a little bit at a day a week, I, I, I don't advocate burning yourself out. I warn against that, but man, if you got a little bit of extra time, you can add two hours a month, 
is what's that 24 hours a year and that adds up year after year so and another thing to add to to that is something jeff and i have talked about and like jeff makes a, a goal of his he's talked about it over and over again is there's a difference between the person who does five reps and there's a person uh, and then the person who does 10. oh you know? perfect so us, using the hours the right way when you're there is also equally important yeah that's good i it's it, I can't. Uh, that's a weird thing because it's just kind of unfortunate that a teammate would say or would would look. Hey, I'm better than you at this. Why did you get? <laughs> uh, I would I would tell that the person that's wondering that is that jujitsu and you guys I think have hit this perfectly. Um, coach made the call, not me. You know, like <laughs> what, what do you like? I don't. But this is jujitsu. Is it's a team sport, but the it's individual as well. We all have different bodies. We all have different abilities. We all have different focuses. We all have different off the mat lives that drastically affect what we could train and, you know, how much we could train. And, and, you know, we could be going through personal disasters as well. Like all these things happen. Nobody's just who's the same. So uh, Jeff as a blue belt or Phil as a blue belt or Joe as a blue belt, that's you as a blue belt. That's not that's not me as a blue belt or a purple belt. Um, that's the individual. And if, um, like I'm not very flexible, um, <clears throat> that affected my performance at any, at all my belt levels. And if, if somebody, um, is, is having a problems with their game or whatever, like this, it's you as that belt level. So, um, I think that the belts are awarded to the person and you could be in theory with my, with my thought, you could be a blue belt and really never, uh, hang with much of the blue belts. You know, I, I think of uh, people that have uh, a lot of things kind of uh, against set against them. You know, they could be uh, suffering from a physical disability or um, maybe, maybe like their work is so crazy that they, they don't sleep much or I don't know what it is. But this is you as a blue belt. This is what your coach feels you are at the blue belt level for yourself. It's not the same for everybody. If you come in young, athletic and, and you know, uh, wrestling, you, this doesn't mean you're going to get your blue belt in six months. That might mean that you as a blue belt, as, are you're going to be a really uh, good blue belt and you're going to have a, this type of game. It's just, I think it's just individual and there's no reason to have somebody <laughs> try their best. And like, I'm a slow learner too. Like I, the, the techniques I've learned and I like, I really learned them well and I really like them. But if, if it was more on, show me a variety of techniques, I would not be a black belt. I don't have a large library of techniques to pull from. That's just not my, that's just not what I've done with my jujitsu. But if that's how I was being judged, I would be, that's not my style. I would be held back. I'd be a pupper belt or a brown belt still. Does that make sense at all that you're, it's an individual belt? Although yeah. it's, okay, good. <laughs> like Joe was saying earlier, are you better than you were yesterday? Yeah. And I would also offer this advice to Jamie and that is, yeah, um, wear that blue belt with pride. You know, if if she's got that imposter syndrome, which many people do, just get over it and know that your coach says this is the right thing, and and wear that blue belt with pride and and just move forward and keep training. I, I agree, I, I agree, Jeff. If it's imposter syndrome, then you'll get over that. Trust your coach, and, and if there really are teammates who are questioning your promotion, that probably reflects more on 
how they feel about their own jujitsu, like Byron was talking about, about insecurities and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, Jamie, I hope that helped. Uh, the next listener we had that chimed in was Gerald, and he had ca- kind of a long post. I'm just going to touch on a couple things he said. He started with, I just got promoted to Blue Belt as the pandemic, pandemic went down. So I want to talk a little bit, if you have advice for people, maybe they just got promoted and it's not the pandemic. Maybe they just got promoted and they broke their ankle on a motorcycle accident two weeks later, or they just got promoted and summer vacation started and they've got four kids between second and 10th grade. For whatever reason, a lot of people get promoted and then they reach a period of time where they can't train. Um, So I I have a question for you guys or or looking for your advice to help people get through that. And then he also talked about, he says, a challenge for me is remembering all the moves and all the techniques and piecing them all together. And that can be an enormous thing for people to be worried about at this point in their uh, jujitsu journey. So anybody want to chime in on either one of those? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, great question. And, you know, I, I always say this and you can either make excuses not to do jujitsu or you can make excuses to do jujitsu. And I choose to do the latter rather than the former. And so even with the pandemic, um, you know, whether it's somebody getting somebody in your household, that's maybe would be interested in just doing some of the techniques, may, there's plenty of drills, you know, that we just did the arm bar, triangle arm bar, um, stuff, uh, our, our professors doing remote training. So we, we still can have class in the, in our household, uh, with remote zoom kind of interactive training. Uh, so if you have someone in your household who's, in, who's interested, make an excuse to do jujitsu. Um, and, and, and I think that that applies to, you know, any situation, you know, there's, there's going to be times where it's, co- it's complicated, you're injured and, um, and you can only do a few little things. Well, that time on the mat, I, I remember whenever I was, uh, I had a pinched nerve in my neck and, and basically my whole right arm was numb. I could have made an excuse to stay off the mat. Some would say maybe I should have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what I, what I did instead was, you know, while I was getting physical therapy from a jujitsu guy, um, <laughs> that, that, that I would, I would just, do what I could on the mat. And guess what? My half guard from the opposite side got better because that side that was numb, it would be, it would go numb if I laid on my right side, which is my conventional half guard. So I started playing half guard on left side and and it got better. So that, that's why I think, you know, it's important to make excuses to do jujitsu. Yeah. Do what you can. You might not be able to do jujitsu the way you were last month, but do something. I, I appreciate that, Jeff. Yeah, yeah all, I, all I would add is just the same thing we were talking about earlier, consistency. No matter what the situation is, make the best of it, like like everybody else is going to say, and consistently do what you can. If it's twice a week, do jiu-jitsu twice a week. Yeah. I I, uh, I love Gerald and Jamie on here, man. They, <laughs> they're like some of our uh, – they're just great, great uh, listeners and, and very supportive of the, of the show. And uh, congratulations on your blue belt. I think, Gerald, look at this as when somebody asks you about your blue belt in in 10 years, you're going to say this. Remember that COVID-19 thing? <laughs> That's what I got my blue belt. You have a story with it. And and you could take it and say, what I did was I studied guillotines or I studied, you know, daily heave guard off the mat 
And I tried my best to learn some stuff. And I just kind of did the off the mat study because I had no choice. I got much like how earlier this episode I was, uh, I was studying books and VHS tapes mm-hmm. instead of YouTube or anything like, or BJJ fanatics. Like you do what you can. And it, it it's, it's unfortunate that you can't hit the mat running with your blue belt, but do your best to do that. And like, they're saying find find a way to train find an excuse to train find 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 a weakness of your of your game and work on that like me i already mentioned my flexibility is pretty much a joke i have hip flexibility other than that i'm i'm not flexible at all i've been doing yoga every day uh which i could not commit to while i was doing jujitsu it just i don't really do jujitsu than yoga that's it's so much better but (laughs) (laughs) but now that there's no jujitsu i've committed to doing yoga every day and I have gained a ton of flexibility in my in my hamstrings. It's like this wasn't that hard to fix. It's kind of reminds me of like if you start to lift weights after like even 20 days or 30 days, it's like I'm a lot stronger than when I started this. If you've never lifted weights before, I've never really worked on my flexibility before. Mm. It, I went from zero to maybe 50 or 40. But that's a huge difference, you know, like uh, gaining some Strength is way better than no strength. Gaining some flexibility is way better than where I was before. So, Gerald, if you have a spot like that in your game, whether it's flexibility or strength or cardio, or if there, you feel like there's a knowledge gap, now is a great time to hit that nail on the head. Yeah, that, that's great advice, Byron. Um, uh, sometimes where we're the weakest, uh, whether it's being physically not very strong or not flexible, uh, those are sometimes the areas where it's easiest to make the most quick improvement. I mean, if you're starting from zero at anything, you can make a lot of improvement quick. So that's great. Um, we have another listener, Emma, and she's got uh, sort of a couple questions. One of them she answered herself. But her first question had to do with uh, feeling like you don't rate. And in her question, it was like, you're good in gi, but not no gi or vice versa. I would kind of interpret this to be like, feeling like you've got a big hole in your game, like you're good at some things, but not good at others. So that's kind of one question. And her other question was, uh, had to do with feeling like there's a target on your back. And she kind of answered that question herself. And it had to do with learning how to escape and and just keep training and working through it. But anybody have anything on either of those two things? Yeah, the target on the back, uh, our professor John had talked about how much of that is really in your own head. Um, Cause not much has really changed. You know, the belt doesn't do a whole lot. It's not going to fix your problems. You know, you, you're still the same person. Um, so you, I think a lot of people, I think that was part of my issue at first. Definitely. was just putting the pressure on myself. Things that I thought I should be able to do. Um, were not necessarily anybody else really cared. Um, and then for the, the givers, no gi thing. I mean, we talked about that a lot recently because I forever had just no interest in doing no gi. And I would use the, that class as my day off, basically. And then I would just sit here and talk about how I'm not good at it. Well, I've avoided it and I've never practiced it. So I don't know why I would expect to be good at it, you know? Yeah, that's good. Um, and as far as feeling like you don't rate, we've we've talked about that. You're going to have holes in your game. You're going to be deficient in some areas and you just – systematically keep improving on them and uh so yeah that's good we have another and, list and joe yeah, joe ahead, i would joe. add to that um for emma i would say if you don't feel like you rate in, in a in an overall um aspect that goes back to trusting your coach 
and not worrying about that. If it goes back to, to not being able to rate in a certain position, put yourself in that position and get better. Put yourself in that position with new white belts. Put yourself in that position with two and three stripe white belts, and you'll start getting better and figuring things out. Then go up the ladder and see see where it breaks down and see what you're doing wrong. So, I mean, I think I think that that positionally you just have to put yourself in those um, situations. And and you know, I the first contact that I had with um, Byron and the BJJ Brick was whenever uh, you guys were talking about plateaus and and Phil succinctly put. Well, it's not a plateau if you've never practiced it before. And I was specifically talking about my triangle was garbage. And <laughs> good job, Phil. And, that's that's great input. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, uh, and he said he said so. Let me get this straight, Jeff. Um, you don't do triangles a lot, and then whenever you first try the triangles, you feel like you're on a plateau because people are you know, doing the Gracie pass and passing your guard and smashing you and, and, and all of that. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you see how that sounds stupid? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. I do see how that sounds. There isn't that. That's not a plateau. It's a, it, it's just you learning. It's just you putting yourself in that position where you're deficient and, and Byron, you as a black belt, you've, you've noted your deficiencies and I, I commend that. And, and, and I feel like sure that I'm going to be that way throughout my entire jujitsu campaign. And, and if I'm not comfortable putting myself in that bad position, then what am I doing it for? Yeah. And with the, uh, that, that, that is funny. <laughs> if you're not doing them, how, how are you? <laughs> but, uh, it is frustrating because everybody, uh, has to know how to escape the triangle choke. And so when you're just learning it, the person you're trying to triangle has likely escaped a lot of these already. <laughs> so they're yeah. bringing, like, you knew how to escape the triangle choke before you knew how to do the triangle choke, uh, oh, probably, because you started off with playing a top game. So the, just, they're not that green at starting as you are when you start the, the attack. They know how to, what to be, what they should be doing, unless you want to just work on just the brand new people. But it's just, it's a little bit frustrating, sure. Uh, but with, as far as the, the gi and no gi, uh, Phil, you, you said you preferred, and I already mixed up, gi over no gi. Is that right? Yeah, I, and you I take, would skip no, no gi days on so like a day off, yeah, right? Yep. So if you missed a gi day, would you still take the day off or would you would you go to a no gi? I would still take the day off. No, I, yeah. would, I would still take that day off. And I just, I, it's something I've been working on uh, in jiu-jitsu and everywhere else that if I'm actively avoiding issues, um, trying to address that because – my excuse for not being good at nogi or never doing a nogi competition is kind of lame of I'm not good at it. Well, you avoid it. So how, what, what do you expect? I think you'd surprise yourself. They're so similar unless you're playing a lot of like lapel things and you're super grip reliant. Um, it's, I, I think within a short amount of time you would say, Oh, this isn't, this isn't that bad for, for me. I always tell people just go when you can go. If 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 the if your gi nights are easier for you to get out of the house and go train, do that. If something comes up and you happen to miss uh, that gi night, you should still go to train. It's just going to be on a no gi night. It's not going to be that bad. <laughs> and I, I actually have, and you're 100 percent right. The, I, the more I do uh, no gi, the more I like it. It's it's it, it was just you know it was me avoiding it. Uh, yeah, that was the issue. We do like things we're better at doing. And and there's no doubt that if you don't train no gi, that there's people that you would submit wearing the gi, you know, or do handle very well if you're doing the gi, hit the gi off. 
they're now a handful. You know, it's like now they're choking me instead. That's frustrating. But the underlying principles of your jitsu um, will, will kind of clean themselves out and you'll figure that no gi game out pretty quickly. I, I would guess that's what I've seen every time. But same thing happens at, at my gym. You go to a gi uh, training session and it's it's full to capacity to where we sometimes have to take turns rolling. Like there's mm-hmm. not enough room for everybody to roll. And it's a big gym. And then you go to Noki night and we get half the mat and the other half the mat of people doing, uh, you know, like a kid's class. Something like that. Like, how come no, nobody comes to Noki? <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way people are. But but if I, if I miss, I try to train two to four times a week and I just train when I can. And I, I'm often having to figure out, do I, is this key or Noki before I leave the house? Doesn't really matter. I don't know which one. I'm, I'm sure I'm worse at gi because I basically play the same game. Like I, I have thrown away all my lapel chokes. I've thrown away anything where I have to grip, uh, you know, a, a sleeve really well or something like that stuff. I just do the same game all the time, mm-hmm. and occasionally I'll throw in a lapel choke or something like that. But I don't do a technical gi game. I just play jujitsu, regardless of what you're wearing. And I'm sure that's holding me back in the gi game, but I can work on the same thing all month long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's give and take. And if you want to go compete gi, you got to focus on that. You know, that's definitely area for that too. Definitely. Are your guys' gi classes bigger than your no gi classes? They are. Yeah. Right now our no gi, and what actually got me back into it is the, the no gi was the striking class now that we do. So it's, uh, more about clinching takedowns, uh, striking situations like he was talking about. And the more I was doing it, I was like, this is fun. So I don't know. That's good. Now we've, we've incorporated some of it into our personal training after, you know, an open mat or whatever. We'll, we'll dedicate some time to just getting experience with no gi. And it's fun. You guys, you guys talked about doing a little bit of striking and then, and you know, like light striking with groundwork. Talk about tapping the panic instead of pressure. Um, a lot of times you get mad on somebody and just kind of tapping their head a little bit, like mm-hmm. in, in an arm down. The, people want to quit. People want to tap. It's like zero damage. Like I'm not, I'm not hitting you. I'm not smapping you. I'm literally saying I can hit you here. And they, and they want to tap. It's like take a deep breath and work your jiu-jitsu escape. These, these punches aren't counting. But that's a, ta- that's a panic tap because it's just so foreign to be getting hit. Or just straight jujitsu people, and especially if you're doing this for self defense, you have to know that, and you have to be prepared for that. And it it really helps you gain perspective on, uh, you know, kind of what the difference between the sport and the self defense aspect of jujitsu is. Absolutely. Yeah. So Phil made a good point about uh, y'all's no gi classes kind of being where the striking is and the MMA is. I think that's pretty consistent in a lot of gyms. So if you're going to a gym and you're primarily a gi player and you hit those classes, but you would like to add wrestling or MMA or be more prepared to do jujitsu under the pressure of strikes and those kind of things, you'll probably find that uh, more prevalent in your no gi classes. Yeah, and again, I hate being punched in the face. This class is is great for me because it's all about how not to get punched in the face and nobody's trying to hurt each other, obviously. So I would – I would now definitely recommend giving that a chance because I've waited it for a long time. If, if anybody's seen pictures of Byron and I, you'll, <laughs> you'll understand we're not all that concerned about getting punched in the face. 
<laughs> we have so little we're working with already. Yeah. <laughs> we can't lose it. Don't leave Gary out of that, even though he's not here. Don't leave Gary out of that uh, that uh, repertoire either. Well, he claims to be the good looking one of the bunch, though. So the other... <laughs> well, he does have the glamour shot. There's so, always yeah. that. Yep. <laughs> Hey, guys, we have one more listener to get to here before we wrap it up. And that's Richard. And he's not asking for advice so much as it relates to his own game, but he's asking for how to give advice. And here's what he's asking about. We we talked about the target on your back. Um, a lot of times guys get that new blue belt. And even though they were getting tapped by other three and four stripe white belts before, and it was just part of their cooperative training, now they get the blue belt and they feel like, I can't tap to that guy anymore. I'm a blue belt. He, for whatever reason, their um, roles start to become a little bit more of a battle and maybe sometimes to the detriment. And his question is, you know, how do you explain to new blue belts that you don't have to defend that belt every time you're on the mat? If you were tapping to this four-stripe white belt two weeks ago, a week after your promotion, nothing's really changed. So I don't know if you guys have uh, experienced that in your own game, if you've seen it in other people's game, but if you saw that happening in somebody's game, how would you advise them? It's the same thing I was saying before about the uh, the pressure that's in your own head, target being in your own head. You know, it's this person doesn't really care, and it doesn't lie, or the mat doesn't lie. You know, so. And just, if they do care, it's on them, right? It's it's yeah, not on you. You're the only one who cares, and yep. you know it's up to you to work on it and fix it. Byron, you're you're the coach among us. Uh, what 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 would you tell somebody in that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it goes back to that you're on your individual journey. Like, if you, what was what was Gordon Ryan like six months on the mat? You know, like I've been here a year. Gordon Ryan's only been here six months. I should quit jujitsu. No, <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> like, it, it was him at six months. What was uh, Keenan Cornelius like at six months or one year versus a guy that was there for three years? It's we're, we all progress differently, and in in you your your coaches help you out, but we're all an individual journey. Some people learn things or pick things up. Some people it's just like you show me technique one time and they're pulling it off while they're rolling. I have never been able to do that. That's not me. Uh, it has to has to literally fit perfectly into my game. Owner, in order to do something like that, um, so it's just everybody's everybody's different, and so yeah, that that four stripe white belt that was occasionally tapping you out when you were also white belt, they're still gonna be occasionally tapping you out when you're a blue belt, <laughs> if not more, because like we like you're talking about that target. Well, now he wants to tap out a blue belt, <laughs> and that's you. Uh, it may, and if it's motivating to fight harder, that's fine. But um, when it comes to your safety. That's you. You both have to have that responsibility, but don't let anybody injure you or take the fun out of jujitsu because uh, you've turned into just trying to protect a, a little cloth around your hips. Yeah, Byron, I, I agree with that, and um, and you guys kind of kind of spoke to it, but I would also say um, as far man, I'm a slow learner when it comes to technique as well. There'll be times where I see a technique like three times. It doesn't happen much anymore. But especially whenever I was like a three-stripe white belt, I would see the technique and I would watch it and I would sit there and then I'd be like, um, what position did we start from? You know, <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're like I, don't, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I just sit there and watched it intently and I couldn't do it. But then after that technique, so every day, you know, because every day after the, that fundamentals, you have some sparring time, right? And I, 
always, always, always try to incorporate at least one time every one of those techniques into a role, even if it fails because I'm terrible at it, you know, it's, or I'm terribly unfamiliar with it, or I'm just not getting the setup at it. Even if it fails, I'm going to try that at least one time in each of the roles. Um, and that's just something I do. It's just something that, um, that it feels like to me, because I am a slow learner, it helps me to solidify that, that, uh, fundamental movement, uh, and that fundamental technique into my game. I love that. And as a, uh, Joe called me coach as a, as a black belt that sometimes coaches, <laughs> um, I love to see that as well. Like if, if, if we're working on, um, I, triangle chokes, and and I go to roll with Phil, and he, let's just say Phil wants Phil typically is doing his pressure passing stuff, and and I could expect him to do that. So I'm getting ready to just, uh, you know, work some guard while Phil is pressure passing, and Phil just changed up, pulls guard on me, and it starts working and trying to get a triangle. I I am super happy for that. Like like yeah, mm-hmm. let's do this. Let's let's see how this works <laughs> yeah. out. Like as a as as a coach or somebody who's got a little more time on the mats. I love seeing that. And I know that his triangle is not going to be perfect because it, it, we just worked on this no, today. His triangle's you know, trash. Triangle as, a, <laughs> as, a, as an example, but whatever this technique that we worked today that, that he's jumping right on, I love that. And and we're going to spend some time there. And it, it, like, I don't know. I just, I, I like what you said there, Jeff, about try the technique, try one of them at least and, and try to get that in because uh, like we were talking about earlier, do stuff that's fun. If you pull it off, that becomes more fun. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. And you might actually find out that you have a predilection to that technique, you know? Yeah. One of the, one of the cool things about a lot of, uh, how our sparring classes will go a lot of times after fundamental classes, it can be positional and, you know, it's kind of encouraged, you know, Hey, this is what we just worked on in class from this position. This would be a good idea to try it out. Now's the, this is how you get to see how, you know, does it work? basically. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so, uh, I know we're kind of getting towards the end of this and Joe's been doing everything, but I had a question for you guys about your coach. You, a lot of times you'll talk about, you know, coach says, you know, you feel like you have a target on your back. You coach will say this coach will do this. Um, I think, uh, that's a great thing. He's your coach is doing there and having conversations about, the team or about jujitsu, about your progression, whatever with, uh, with the team versus, um, kind of the, the old style of way of jujitsu. We come in, we warm up, we do some technique, we roll, we say goodbye. And next time at some point in time, having a, even a 30 second to a two or three minute conversation about, Hey guys, it's really important to remember uh, that you both should be benefiting from this role. Hey guys, I just want you to, to think about, um, especially new blue belts out there, you might feel like some of these roles are harder than they thought they'd be. You know, it's just a blue belt. It doesn't change how you roll. It's just a piece of material. Like when does your coach have these conversations? Is it, is it on a regular basis? Is it when they're needed? Um, when, when do you feel like your coach is, is taking the, the, the non-technical side of jujitsu and teaching the, the kind of the mental side of jujitsu, if that makes sense? How I think he does it. That? I think he does it more often than I realize when he's teaching techniques, uh, he'll, he'll kind of maybe give a background of a situation or what you should be thinking when you're trying to do it. Um, I think I miss a lot of those. And then I think I see him 
later on sometimes. Um, kind of hard to give a specific example of that, but, um, you know, he'll talk about with the stack pass, it's, it's, it's a guy has a triangle and you're stacking. It's the mental, you know, it's a lot of, it's going to come down to who quits first. And if you're the guy on top and you have the stack pass and you back up and hesitate or second guess yourself, then the guy with the triangle has a lot better chance of winning that position. Um, but he talks about those things a lot. Well, he teaches techniques. Um, we are lucky enough to have one that after class, he'll just talk to us. He always asks, um, if we have any questions after sparring, I usually have four to 10. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and also I'm lucky enough to be able to do this podcast where he's agreed to come on twice and he just says a lot of things that I think are pretty smart. So, yeah, we're really, we're really lucky to have John Plowler as our professor. I mean, it, you know, I know there's jujitsu everywhere, but, um, we really feel lucky for that. And he, he, he does share freely of his time. You know, he, he wants to see us develop as, as, as people, as jujiteros and, and, um, and he, and he regularly has those, uh, he regularly has those conversations when he sees that we're struggling a bit in situations. Nice. That was a good question, yeah. Byron. That's good. Thanks, Joe. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a blast. This has been fun. I have had a good time. Great. Do you guys have anything to add before we wrap it up? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, first off, Joe, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting us on, you know, uh, part of the inspiration for the BJJ campaign podcast comes from BJJ brick podcast. And I've listened to you guys for, for years, as long as I've been doing jujitsu and it's, it's a tremendous honor for, for me in particular to come on and really share this time with you guys. Cause, cause I, so much of my campaign has been, has been molded by, by the advice of, of you guys and by the advice of the, the, the great that you have on the show. And, and we just, we aspire to, to help out in, in whatever little way we can with people's journey through, through jujitsu. So thank you guys for that. Hey Jeff, I got to uh, add on. To, I, I got to add on really quick. I got, I got to uh, ask, I got to ask Jeff something before you go, Phil, uh, yeah. Jeff, a, a guy making it to blue belt and having no concept of what visualization is all about. I'm, I mean, can, can you imagine that happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about concepts next. <laughs> little inside joke there that I'm sure Jeff and especially yeah. Phil didn't know I was going to drop on y'all. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah. No, I, I take the, uh, I take the slow learner cake. I think, uh, I have to do everything the hardest way possible. Um, but it does feel good once you figure it out. <laughs> but no, I just wanted to add on uh, to what Jeff said that um, going back to before I got the blue belt, listening to that episode that Jeff referenced before about, you know, the what um, what it took for them to give it what they look for in blue belts and if they regret it and, and all that stuff. Uh, before I got my blue belt, that made a huge impact on on me and what I was trying to do. And that's, that's one of my favorite podcast episodes of any podcast out there. That was that was really important to me at the time that I heard it. So. Thank you guys for what you do. Absolutely. You guys are doing a fabulous job. Uh, I, I personally, I, I don't know if Byron and Gary listen to as many podcasts as I do, but I, I seek them out. And I listen to them and I've been checking you all out lately. You guys are doing great. Uh, Byron, you have anything to add before we wrap it up? This has been, been great uh, talking with you guys and learning, learning about you and learning a little bit from you there as well. Like 
um, it's we do have we are kind of cheating the system because we get to talk to so many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like you get to interview your coach, you get to interview, you know, talk to whoever you want, or you know, just by having these conversations, I think it does help us with jujitsu, which which seems kind of crazy because it's a very physical thing and it's it's on the mats, but just by like. Rafael Lobato Sr. Now, hey, I should be training half for this other person. That just improved everybody's jiu-jitsu who's seeking that, like the whole mm-hmm. team. And and it's it is just something that you just heard on a thing. And and you guys keep talking about that blue belt episode. That I'm glad you guys really liked it. <laughs> that was a killer for me. That was hard to uh I had to like picking the the getting the people and and it was just like so much work wrapped up into uh, a short amount of actual, I think it was fairly long, but it was a lot of work. I'm and that, that labor. I'm glad you guys have gained from that. It's um, super appreciated. It, it <laughs> had a big, you. big impact on me when I listened to it, when I did. And, and also we kind of got, um, we kind of got one of our episodes where we asked, um, a bunch of really good black belts, including world champ, um, uh, Joao Miao and, and many others, um, very similar questions in the same vein that you asked the, the blue belt questions. And you're right, Byron, it was harder to put together, but we were luck- luckily we were at a, a super fight and all those people were available. And oh, we nice. kind of got it there, you know, cause we already scoped out and said, Hey, we want to do an episode like this, that, that actually focuses on the best advice that you've ever gotten or given, you know, which is kind of the same question to be quite honest. Uh, but but it was it, it was really good and it inspired us to to do that episode and it was it was tougher but it was also uh, a lot of fun and and one of the, our most downloaded episodes um, was that black belt episode. That's awesome. That's nice. good to hear. Where could we? Where could uh, if so? I, this is kind of double airing. <laughs> if you're listening to this uh, on the BJJ Brick podcast, where are they going to find you guys? Uh, BJJ Campaign Podcast. It's on Apple, iTunes, uh, Google Play. Spotify, all the places uh, you can find your your podcast. Also on YouTube, if you want. It's just the and audio, though. Where are they going to find? Yeah, that's the same thing. I'm too ugly. Uh, <laughs> so, kind of obviously, it's about jujitsu. Um, what, what should they expect when they show up um, to check out the podcast? Well, um, I think we said it before, but we really don't know much about jujitsu. We're not really experts on anything <laughs> in general, but what we do have and like is talking about jujitsu and we're always willing to learn. So like what they're going to see is, is, is basically how we're learning, what we're, what we're going through, the tutorials that we're doing, maybe some bad explanations of positions that I, I do and Phil makes fun of me for, you know, just a fun, uh, a fun weekly show. It's about 45 minutes each episode. And we just talk about the, the struggles that we have with jujitsu and, and you know what, even some of the successes, even though they're few and far between. Byron, and where can they find the BJJ brick? You got anything on that? BJJbrick.com <laughs> <laughs> uh, is the website. And then yeah, anywhere you can find a podcast, it should pop up. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. It's also audio. <laughs> <laughs> I think YouTube is nice because it kind of, it, um, it just kind of preserves it. Like if my, hosting thing goes away. I still have all these on YouTube. Um, nobody really is watching a podcast on YouTube. Even if you're even like the, like the big ones, like Joe Rogan, people hit play and then it plays in the background. Mm-hmm. Nobody's what I don't, maybe I'm wrong. I can't, I couldn't believe if I, if I'm sitting here watching people talk for an hour, two hours straight, like I'm going to find something else to do with my eyes. 
uh, podcast is an essential <laughs> audio thing, <laughs> which I'm lucky because guys like me and Joe aren't the best to look at anyway. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don't show yourself yeah. short, guys. I've seen you guys. You're handsome gentlemen. Cookies <laughs> <laughs> and glasses. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just bjbrick.com. Uh, yeah. Also, weekly show. And uh, sometimes we have we have guests on like today. Sometimes we'll have just an episode about a topic. Uh, we kind of do a few different things, but we do like to have fun and uh, and try to keep uh, try to give a little bit of advice and try to try to share some of the the hard things sometimes about jujitsu as well because I know that there are tough days out there. It's not all easy, but uh, yeah, just our goals keep you on the mats and uh, and get you through some of those tough times. It's awesome. I should have a better elevator pitch, but I don't. <laughs> Man, guys, that was awesome. I appreciate all of you. I appreciate Byron carving out a little time of his day, and I appreciate uh, you guys, Phil and Jeff, for coming on. Thanks, Joe. We really appreciate it too, man. We we could have done this for hours. I mean, this is uh, it's, it was a real honor to talk to you guys and really get the advice and be able to share a little bit of uh, what we have to offer as well. All right, perfect. I'm about to feed them to the sharks right now. Get them hyped right now. Yeah. You know the ground is up. Yeah. Everybody that trains, you know the game. Yeah. So let's get it. Uh. Slap it up, bump it, and roll. Hey. Yeah, that's the way that it goes. Ain't no better way to better yourself in this game. You're feeling the growth. That's time on the mat. We put in the work. Believe it ain't easy, I know. You know. But we train for the love of the game, the love of the art. Now slap it up, bump it, let's roll. Let's roll.